0: I'm Laura Coates, and this is CNN Tonight. And you know, some people will tell you that kids, they say the darndest things. Others will simply say, out of the mouths of babes, if you're my grandmother. But today, we heard the truth from the mouth of a child who should be asking to ride her bicycle with that voice, not having to testify before the House Representatives about how she was forced to try and save her own life, and did her quick thinking should be commended. But the fact that she had to even do it should be condemned. Nearly three weeks since a child was forced to confront pure evil, we're getting a glimpse of the horror she witnessed from inside that courtroom, inside that classroom. He went to
1: there and shot my teacher
2: and told my teacher goodnight and shot her in the head. And then he shot some of my classmates, and the whiteboard.
0: When I went
2: to the back, he shot my friend that was next to me, and I thought he was going to come back
0: to the room, so I grabbed the blood and uh, put it all over me. If that had been a fiction, parents would not let a child her age read it. Had it been a movie, it'd be almost a decade before the rating system would allow someone like her to watch it. But it's not fiction, and it wasn't a movie. And I bet it will replay in her mind for the rest of her beautiful life. And it's no fault of her own or any of those children or teachers whose lives were stolen. Or to the children of Robb Elementary or of Uvalde or of Texas, or of the entire country, who now must contend with the very cruel reality that they too may have to save themselves. You know, maybe they are the ones we've been waiting for. Because in a place where reason is often drowned out by partisan stalemate, we're hearing rumblings that this time in Congress, this time might just be different. Now, while congressmen try to convince us that that's indeed true, a little girl is forever changed.
3: She's not the same little girl that I used to play with and run with and do everything because she was daddy's little girl.
0: Now, mind you, it still feels like we're getting the runaround from officials in Uvalde. We're hearing her testify, but who are you not hearing from? And while we continue to see the images of children running out with their hands up, I wonder if Congress will decide to throw their hands up or maybe roll up their sleeves and walk the walk. It's not just the psychological damage that is caused by gun violence in this country. It's also the very real reality of physical damage. Damage that a Uvalde pediatrician had to testify to today. Brace yourself.
4: Children whose bodies have been pulverized by bullets fired at them, decapitated, whose flesh had been ripped apart, that the only clue as their identities was a blood-splattered cartoon clothes still clinging to them, clinging for life and finding none.
0: The words pulverized, decapitated. Just think of the moment that you bought your child's clothing or that harried rush in the morning when you're trying to find their favorite shirt Maybe you're trying to pull it out of a laundry basket, you don't even realize what the child has on and you know they want to wear it again. Now imagine that's the shirt, the one you're going to use to identify your baby. Blood spattered cartoon clothing. Rarely do we hear this level of detail, but it's not isolated to the shootings that end up on the news. Do you realize that more kids are killed by guns every year in this country than those that die in car crashes or by drugs? In addition to the 21 families in Uvalde that now have an empty bed at home, a bedroom likely unchanged from the moment their child left for school that day. 17 more families, those of the survivors, they now have to live with the injuries that they were suffered that day. So please don't try and call them the lucky ones. When we talk about these weapons, we can't turn away from damage that's done, whether it's to the body of a fourth grader or to a 20 year old named Zaire Goodman. You see, he was shot in the neck in Buffalo while trying to help an elderly woman with her grocery cart.
1: My son Zaire has a hole in the right side of his neck, two on his back, and another on his left leg, (sighs) caused by an exploding bullet from an AR-15. As I clean his wounds, I can feel pieces of that bullet in his back. Shrapnel will be left inside of his body for the rest of his life. Now I want you to picture that exact scenario for one of your children.
0: I don't want to. But 45 members of Congress sat in today's hearings asked to do that very thing. And they heard what I've frankly heard from so many of you out there, whether it's sending your kids to school or you're going to the grocery store, you're commuting to work. You you just want someone in power that's asked you for the opportunity to lead and you have granted it to them by voting for them, asking them to take some action that would maybe make you feel safer.
1: You are elected because you have been chosen and are trusted to protect us. But let me say to you here today, I do not feel protected.
0: Now, I'm not naive, let alone naive enough to think that you will be universally comforted by the signing of a bill. But if that was what it would take to even get on the path to feeling safer, I mean, wouldn't it be a step at least in the right direction? Now, I don't want this to happen to anyone. And neither does Lexi Rubio's mother, who never thought for a moment that this would happen to her, to her child.
1: Somewhere out there, there's a mom listening to our testimony, thinking I can't even imagine their pain, not knowing that our reality will one day be hers, unless we act now.
0: You know, as Mia showed us today in her testimony, it's not just us who need to act to save our own lives. I mean, last I checked, the common refrain for the better part of five years has been about we're a nation of laws, right? So how about we imagine a way to make just one more? My next guest knows the heartbreak and pain all too well. She's the mother of Sandy Hook victim Dylan Hockley, and co-founder of Sandy Hook Promise. Nicole Hockley, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And sitting beside you today, as we are hearing the testimony, as it's being replayed in the minds of those who are in Uvalde and Buffalo and all across this world, it's difficult to even try to comprehend what must be going through your mind. Can you share?
1: Sadly, I can understand their position far too well. I gave that sort of testimony. I remember crying those tears and and pleading for change and being so disappointed when nothing happened almost 10 years ago. Uh, And my heart is just broken time and time again when I hear of students speaking out or another mom like me pleading for, for change and just really hoping that this time people step up and do the job.
0: And in fact, you've spoken to your son, who was just a third grader. Yes. My own son is a third grader in school, and I can't imagine what it would be like for him, now 17 years old, to hear about this, about these sort of shootings happening again. What is it like for him?
1: You know, it's hard. Um, I spoke to him Tuesday night after Uvalde, and I asked him how he was doing, because he gets very silent in these moments. Mm-hmm. And he just said, I'm I'm none, Mom, because it's horrible, but this is just the latest shooting. And I realize for the last 10 years, this is all he's known, is school shootings, is active shooter drills, preparing for school shootings. This is what he has grown up with. This is what we as a country have done to him and his his peers and his generation.
0: And sadly, what he is seeing, I'm sure, is also... Does it feel like a, a fool's errand? Does it feel like an exercise in futility to try to make the changes? I mean, you have not given up hope. No. You have been steadfast in your advocacy to try to prevent this from happening again. But what is your opinion, frankly, of the way that Congress has dealt with this? I mean, that was almost 10 years ago, and here we are today having similar discussions and the needle not moving as far.
1: Well, ten years ago, I think a lot has changed in 10 years in terms of people's outrage. And I'm hearing more voices than ever before demanding change. Um, senators and members of House are getting more calls and emails than they ever have before. America is fed up. And if they don't make the change happen this time, then they're saying that we just need to have a continuation of bloodshed. And I don't think that there's anyone who wants that. I think this time is different. It's just that it's taken 10 years and tens of thousands of people to die in order to get here, which is incredibly frustrating.
0: I mean, every life being so precious... Dylan, I know, I'm just seeing it in your face, even hearing his name. You have the look on your face at the time of thinking about the name and what you would call him and seeing him and the joy that I'm sure he brings, even in his memory. Mm. And the idea that this had to be the culmination, what makes it feel different for you? Do you feel like Congress is in a space where negotiation is possible? Is it public pressure that will help to move this over a finish line and And what would that look like ideally to you?
1: What I would like to see ideally is probably not what's going to happen. I have to be realistic here. And I think what is going to be happening is a comprehensive and multifaceted package that's going to have gun safety elements in it. That's going to have mental health safety Mm -hmm. elements in it. That's going to be comprehensive, but it's not gonna be what everyone wants. And for some people, it's gonna be too much. But you know what, it's a step forward. And I am going to take every step forward I can, because every step forward means that people are alive, that kids can go to school safely, that families remain whole. So I am always going to focus on hope and optimism. And I do believe public pressure is definitely getting to Congress at this moment in time. So keep up that pressure, because they are listening. There is energy and momentum like I did not see 10 years ago. And we just got to keep the pressure up and make sure things finish, you know, cross the finish line, basically.
0: What was Dylan's middle name? What's his full name?
1: Christopher Jack. So he was Dylan Christopher Jack Hockley, Dylan Christopher, and then Jack because he was born on the same day as my grandfather who passed long before him. Uh, And Dylan stood for son of the sea and both of my grandfathers were in the Navy. So I wanted to honor that.
0: Thank you for sharing.
1: I always wondered what his middle
0: name was. Thank Thank you. Thank you for being here. As we mentioned, tonight the House did pass wide-ranging gun control legislation known as the Protecting Our Kids Act. Sadly, it's probably gonna go nowhere with Republicans in the Senate. So what does change after all you've heard today? Casey Hunt, Al Franken, and David Urban will join me next to discuss. So for all the pain and the emotion that lawmakers have heard today about the impact of gun violence, somehow it still seems to be an open question as to whether Congress is going to do anything about it. We saw the House vote 223 to 204 to pass the Protecting Our Kids Act. But that might be the last you actually hear of it as the bill goes to the Senate on what might just be a mission to nowhere. Joining me now to discuss, Casey Hunt, Al Franken, and David Urban. I'm glad you're all here. I mean, I hate to be the pessimist. Normally, I'm a very staunch optimist. But when you see sort of the flow chart of what's happened after gun violence in this country, the thoughts and prayers, the hope for legislation, and then the inevitable nothing is actually done, it's hard to maintain that. But we have to. When you see what's going on right now, I mean, what do you make of the testimony? Will this be Persuasive enough to sort of move that needle? Do you think? Uh,
5: I spoke to Nicole in the green room, and I met her ten years ago, when I was in the Senate, and the Sandy Hook families met with her. She's kind of an expert. She is unbelievable. She's very uh, they, they, her group works very bipartisan. She believes there's going to be a bipartisan bill, and it won't be it won't satisfy me or Democrats, uh, but I think it's. It'll just be progress that we got something done and some of the elements will be helpful and save lives. So um, I, I was heartened by what I heard in the, in the green room.
0: I want to be. But is that too low of
3: expectations, Casey? The idea of something's going to get done. We'll, we'll do something. We'll do something. Yeah, I mean, look, doing something would be a lot more than what's been done in the past about this. So there is that. Even if it's incremental, even if it's something small, it will be more than what Congress has managed to pull together uh, in the past if they're able to do this. I think this is something where, you know, it's been, I think, slower, certainly, than people who've been direct victims of attacks like this. Uh, have wanted it to be than many people who are on their sides. But I do think the tide is really shifting. I think you saw it in Florida after Parkland. I mean, Rick Scott, then the governor of Florida, now a senator who wants to be president, won't talk this way anymore. But in the wake of Parkland, he was actually willing to listen to the masses of families, you know, a lot of whom probably don't even vote every time, but who see what happened at Parkland and said, you know, no, this is unacceptable. I think he, he felt, and you can see it in what Florida actually did, that that feeling became policy. But it mm. hasn't gotten as far as the United States Senate, partly because senators are afraid of re-election fights, right, in the gun lobby, partly because a lot of the Republicans in the, in the Senate want to be president, and they're all running for president already, even though we're sitting here in 2022 before a midterm election. But I think that The the, the more times this happens, the more it is completely politically unacceptable to be seen doing nothing, which is why I think Democrats are are starting to say, look, we'll take what you'll give us. But like we got to do something. We got to show you that there isn't a political price to pay for doing something on this issue. Dave, she
0: mentioned people like Rick Scott. I mean, not only was he not, you know, vilified for it, he became a senator after being the governor of Florida. It was not a penalty. Are people being, I mean, is, is there an olive branch or a benefit out that's not being given to Republicans when we say the whole focus is just about reelection? You're only beholden to the NRA. Is there more to the story? Yeah, I
4: know. Listen, I mean, the NRA is not the omnipotent force that everybody thinks it is. I think people are responsive to their constituents, right? If you come from a state like South Dakota or, you know, Pennsylvania, a lot of firearms I think um, uh, people are being more responsive to their constituencies, not necessarily the NRA. But look, Casey's right. In Florida, um, what happened after Parkland was an incredible model. You had a Republican legislature, a Republican governor, and you passed really meaningful reform in Florida. They um, raised the age uh, from 18 to 21. They had a cooling off period for for guns, for long guns. Um, They hardened schools. They put tons of money into mental health. So they had a really holistic approach to... Um what I think everybody in the Senate would like would be very happy to see Democrats in the Senate. We'd love to see a, a bill similar was passed in Florida um, down on the federal level and and so I'm optimistic you see you I, see you what Republicans. i I,
5: so. I think that the Republicans have to get something yeah because they'll be they'll be uh, they'll be hurt terribly in the midterms people are are outraged. Senator Loomis from uh, Wyoming. Wyoming, is hearing from her, from Wyomians. I don't know what they're actually called, but they're...
3: <laughs> <I'm not laughs> <sure I do laughs> they're called voters. They're uh, called voters. To her, they're called voters. <laughs> Wyoming voters. So, so, uh, I, would, I would say...
5: But, look, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I'm just saying that there's going to be something because Republicans will pay a, a, a price for not doing I
0: it. I've just been told in my ear... I've been told in my ear it's Wyomingites, it's breaking Wyoming news. It's Wyomingites, everyone. <laughs> but I got to say, you're talking, about, you're talking about what Republicans need to do. <laughs> but listen to what Steve Scalise said. Remember, there are actual victims of gun violence right now as sitting members of Congress. And he had this well, to say he, he, about he this. He, uh, that's my point. So yeah. talking about that, I'm going to play yeah. a clip of what he had to say about this issue. Talking about the reaction he thinks might be too much. Here he is.
2: I go back to September 11th. Airplanes were used that day as the weapon to kill thousands of people and to inflict terror on our country. There wasn't a conversation about banning airplanes. There was a conversation about connecting the dots. How can we try to figure out if there are signs we can see to stop the next attack from happening?
5: Jesus, I'm sorry, but that is so awful. Uh, First of all, we made planes safer to travel on. We, We know that anytime you take a flight. That's what you have to do with guns. But, but everyone, uses, you need planes. You don't need assault weapons. So I, would How's say, that?
4: I would just say also, like, listen, let's, let's describe the problem we're trying to address here. Is it mass school shootings? Is it violence in Chicago? Is it suicide? Is it domestic violence? Because if you're looking at gun violence in America, it breaks down into very different categories, right? Um, lots of uh, suicides, right? Older white men commit suicide. About 2,000 women a year get killed by their partner with a gun, right? Um, so they're, 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 you know, handguns kill lots of kids in, in inner cities and across America. So if we're going to address gun violence in America, let's be specific about what, what we're trying to address. Is it mass shootings with, with, with assault weapons, assault-style weapons? Then there's a, probably a way to address that that's going to be different than addressing gun crime in Chicago or domestic abuse, um, that people get killed. Um, and those, wow. those are all real problems, And and they need to be addressed.
0: But maybe that's part of the issue, though. The idea of thinking, I think you're, you're probably getting your point, the idea that are these opportunities by virtue of talking about the umbrella being so large and the idea of there's so much nuance. And I, of course, there's nuance in gun violence. It's not a one size fits all approach to murder in this country. But the idea, are these offering exit ramps for people to say, well, you know what? I can't really approach it the same way I would if it was a school shooting, as if it were in Buffalo or if it were somebody
3: in a synagogue or if it was somebody um, in an intimate partner relationship. Is that part of the problem, Casey? I mean, yes, I think so. I think it's also, it's very easy for opponents of gun safety reforms to go down the various rabbit holes, right? And I think that the basic fundamental question that Congress should be grappling with right now, and I think there are, you know, well-meaning members, frankly, there are people from both sides of the aisle who are in this room right now having these negotiations. What is, I mean, you don't want it to be the least you can do, but what is the smallest thing that Congress could do that would make the most difference? How, How can you save as many lives as possible with whatever policies are actually possible. And I think to the senator's earlier point, it is becoming less and less tenable to be seen doing nothing. Does that mean that they may do nothing in this case? It might, but it's going to be another example, another terrible, awful, tragic, just, I mean, you think about what was done to the children in that classroom and you think, how can we do nothing, right? But the reality is our political system has. So is that going to be okay this time? I well, think it's going to be less okay well, but, and less okay and less okay as well, time goes on. They're going to You're do You're right. The thing is,
0: democracy is built to keep score. We'll see what happens. KC, Al, David, stick around. There's a lot more to talk about on this very issue. And up next, what we now know tonight about the armed man arrested outside of Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home. And what does it say about keeping justices, and frankly our democracy, safe? Next. So tonight, the man arrested outside a Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home now faces attempted murder charges. This comes less than 24 hours after the Department of Homeland Security warned of possible violence from the pending high court ruling, possibly on abortion. The FBI says the suspect, Nicholas John Roski, told agents that he traveled all the way from California. And apparently he was angry in part over the leaked draft opinion on Roe v. Wade. And now, as perhaps as ironic as this may sound, the idea of a justice ruling to loosen gun laws. Now, I say ironic because agents say that he came armed with a Glock 17. And look at everything else they say that he was actually packing. The complaint says that Roski wanted to murder Kavanaugh and then kill himself because he thought that it would give his own life purpose. Former Deputy Director of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, joins me now. Andrew, first of all, the DHS bulletin all but predicted something like this, so we can't really be shocked, but I'm still stunned that this is happening in America.
2: It's an incredibly timely warning that we got from DHS yesterday, which describes almost perfectly what we saw play out last night uh, in Mm -hmm. front of the justices' house. Um, But I think the thing that really resonates with me, Laura, is that the warning we got basically said extremists of all sorts are going to be or could be motivated by these major upcoming events like Mm -hmm. the impending release of the court's decision on the on the abortion issue, um, like the upcoming midterm elections, other events. Um, And those folks can be motivated to get involved in acts of mass violence. They've got plenty of examples. They're seeing mass shootings on television, on our coverage, other coverage every single day. Those sorts of things can inspire people who are on the edge.
0: I mean, we used to talk about grievance politics as part of the campaign platform. Now it seems it's a catalyst for possible violence. It certainly
2: seems that way, right? You look at the mass shooters that we've seen just in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. and Each of them approaches their terrible acts with some sort of deep-set grievances. Some of them have been writing about those things for weeks and months leading up to those events. So um, it's not... Um, It's not unique to have people in a society, a free society, who uh, believe very strongly in in these strange beliefs, who have deep-set grievances, are are, uh, being radicalized into extremist positions. What makes us different is that those folks can easily become heavily armed very quickly.
0: And as you point out, the idea that there's not much predictive value if it could come from any direction, there's no able to say, listen, if there is this ruling, then this flowchart then becomes obvious and helpful. But if it's anyone who has a problem with a decision or even in this case has a problem with the idea of gun violence to react in this way, how in part of intelligence, how do you try to combat that?
2: It's very challenging because you're seeing these deeply aggrieved people, these extremists, motivated by very different things, but all ending up in the same place where they feel like they have to strike out in a moment of mass violence. It's very, very hard for our intelligence and law enforcement folks to track.
0: And as this particular person was speaking to authorities that he wanted to give his life purpose, I couldn't help but think to myself the way in which we talk about those who commit these atrocities and mass shootings the media does not want to raise attention and give them a profile, not on the cover of Rolling Stone That's magazine right. and the like, because they don't want people to feel as though this validates their sense of self and creates copycats.
2: That's right. But despite our efforts, that uh, we know that mass shooters are motivated and inspired by the mass shooters that went before them. They look at the guys like the Christchurch shooter, they look at the Poe shooter, and they they echo those same sentiments in their own thoughts, and their own writing. So that inspirational factor is always there.
0: I mean, the times we live in, Andrew, it's I mean, tough. you've seen a lot, obviously, but the trajectory that the DHSS Bulletin is speaking about tells us that there's a lot more to come. It's scary. Thank you for Absolutely. your insight. Sure. I really appreciate it. I'm going to take us up with Casey and Al and David a little later. We certainly will. But first, emails from Trump attorney John Eastman revealed, well, that the day before, January 6th, um, the hearings, that he was, there was a, for, a fully formed plan to create chaos a month before the attack on the Capitol. Could that be true? Next. It's almost showtime because the primetime January 6th committee hearings, are starting tomorrow. And it comes just after a federal judge has now ruled in favor of giving that panel even more evidence. So what's that evidence? How about 159 more emails from John Eastman, a former Trump lawyer who infamously devised a plan for then-Vice President Pence to try to overturn the election. Now Eastman's team has until now June 13th to turn those emails over. Well, this may in fact be key. According to the judge, quote, Eastman's plan to disrupt the joint session was fully formed and actionable as early as December 7th, 2020. That's a full month before the attack. Back with us now, our top political minds, Casey Hunt, Al Franken, and David Urban. I have to ask, when we're talking about the January 6th hearings and we're hearing the 159 more emails, the fundamental question that so many people are asking is, do people still care? Is it still in the mind, in the forefront of the American electorate in a way that'll be meaningful?
3: What matters is that they paint a big picture, all right? The public has been inundated with incremental pieces of information about what all of these various <laughs> actors were doing over the course of this time. Enough that like there's a lot of people who've just tuned it out. Like I've been hearing about this for a long time. But what happened that day is an incredibly po- important and difficult point in American history. And the committee's job... Uh, and I think if you talk to members and, and people who've, who've worked in and around it, I mean, I think they know this very well. They got to tell a story. They got to show people why what happened, why it matters, and they have to show it, you know, from the people who were actually there and were actually involved. And you know, it's a tall order, especially when the the, the way that the media coverage of this has worked has been to look for some sort of explosive uh, revelation. When I think the most important thing is going to be that story as a whole, and we need to make sure that we're keeping that. in mind.
5: That story as a whole is that this president tried to overturn a democratic election. And he's, we know he's guilty of that. We, we know that. We're just kind of. said gonna, it in public. <laughs> uh, well, we, we we know it from what we've heard thus far, but a lot of Americans don't pay as much attention as the four of us. And they, I think, are going to be tuning in uh, tomorrow night. It's 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 on every channel except
3: Fox. But so, so risk gonna, risk I was going
4: to
5: say, shocking that 54 million people who voted for Donald Trump, or excuse
4: me, 74 million, whatever the number, gigantic number was, right? They, they probably don't feel the same way. And I think that, they, to Casey's point, right, there's been inundated by. The drip, drip of, of of facts coming out, right? And so the challenge. I think
5: they've been I, I, inundated with the drip, drip of, of false. Well, no, no, this, I don't I think it's falsehoods. I mean, this is
4: this is actually leaks from the
5: from the the panel and
4: the, the putting out. I mean, I've I've watched some of the, the folks te- come yeah, on. But they're on watching and Fox. No.
5: They're getting disinformation uh, well, okay, on can, Facebook.
4: They're uh, these. I, I would say that it's going to be. It'll be very hard. Um, and and, and and the the committee has hired a producer and I think the committee is well aware that they get their one bite at the apple tomorrow night to really capture capture Americans to kind of get their attention and say, pay attention to this. If they fail tomorrow night, I think they're going to, You're going to see viewership and attention span. People have a very short attention span. Well, they do,
0: and that's part of what the comment from the coordinator from the commanders, the Washington football team commanders, had to say about not only the attention span, but also about what he sees as a double standard by not focusing on other things. This is a familiar talking point we heard of, frankly, in the second impeachment hearing of the same matter. Listen in.
5: People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust up at the Capitol. Well, there's nothing burned down, and we're not going to talk about. We're going to make that a major deal. I just think it's kind of two standards.
0: So I think we're all clear that it was not a dust-up. Right? We're, we're all on the same page about
3: that. So it's a little bit was, bigger than a dust-up. I was at the Capitol that day, okay? It was not a dust-up. We were literally looking out the windows. I was lucky that I was in the Russell office building. I mean, there was a point where we looked, and we, I, my colleague and I looked at each other and thought, should we run to the Capitol? It's always the safest place to be. There are five dead pol- and, uh, Capitol and, police. And there, these Capitol police officers died afterwards. They were beaten. I mean, they. I, I spoke to one afterward who said, you know, Donald Trump was the only person that could have called these people off. I told them to leave, and they said to me, well, Donald Trump told us to come here. And if he tells us to leave, we will, but he won't. And they then stormed past him into the—and he's still, you know, to this day grappling with the effects of his injuries. But and isn't part
0: of the concern, though—I mean, we are if I've asked the question of all of you, and it's come down to Donald Trump. And part of the concern for the January 6th committee—I understand why we're naming his name— But the committee is part of their hurdle and story is going to be about convincing the American public they did not spend all this time on a target of one that they have to make it more broad. Is that
3: a no, misgiving? I, I, don't, I don't actually think that's the case. I think if you talk to Liz Cheney is somebody who has really had a North Star on this. We don't see a lot of politicians who are willing to do this. She's putting her political career on the line. She's got a primary challenge in Wyoming uh, to do to do what she's doing here. And frankly, there's been reporting that there are disputes behind the scenes, that she wants to go harder after Donald Trump than even some of the Democrats want to do. Because frankly, yeah. for some Democrats, they need Trump voters. But I think for, for a lot of people are really...
5: This is about the president of the United the States. Office, right? This is about the president of the United States being a traitor, which is trying to overturn a demo, a, a legitimate election. That's the worst thing you can Wasn't do. That in, <laughs> no. but, Senator, but, Senator, but that was why, the impeachment hearing, a, was it yeah, not? That yeah, was part
0: of the
4: impeachment. You had Mueller, you had, all these, you had two impeachment hearings. I think Americans are like we've seen this play before, right? We've seen we've seen this by the Democratic Congress impeaching the president twice and then nothing coming of it. So I think you have to convince, you don't have to convince people around this table or in Washington, you've got to convince people across America that. And I think it's a much higher bar than you think.
0: I'll give you the last word, Senator. I,
5: I we'll see. We'll see. And I, I don't know what you want, but I, I know what I want. I want people to see exactly what happened, how you can... Look, two-thirds of Republicans think that the uh, election was stolen by Biden. That's ridiculous. And it's all disinformation and lies, and they're going to see the truth.
0: Last words. The one, last word was actually truth, so we'll see if that comes up. Casey, Al, David, hold on. We're coming back to all of you, and we're coming back to look at this alleged murder plot against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Add this to the mass shootings and other domestic terror threats, and you have to ask, Where does this toxicity in our culture end? That's next. So not one, not two, but at least three incidents of potential or actual acts of political violence in less than a week. We told you about the retired Wisconsin judge killed in his own home by a man that the judge had sentenced more than 15 years ago. On Friday, a Michigan man was arrested outside the U.S. Capitol carrying a fake badge, a BB gun, body armor, high-capacity magazines, and more. And today, an armed man equipped with a handgun, knife, and burglary tools was arrested outside of Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home. Casey Hunt, Al Franken, and David Urban are back with me. I can't help but wonder what your impression has been of this, the notion that there was a time people remember fondly. Where you decided through the ballot and you aired your grievances that way. Is this the new normal? Uh,
5: the, these people are mentally ill, I would think. And, um, you know, we have to, I, I think this means you have to protect Supreme Court just, justices and judges. Uh, I don't know how, where you draw that line, but certainly. This kind of thing is happening. Also, you wonder where this guy is getting his information, and there is a lot of this. You, you know that the Buffalo shooter got his, you know, with the, this uh, race theory, this uh, that replacement theory, replacement yep. theory uh, gets that on. I mean, there's way, way too much disinformation going around that's radicalizing people. But I don't know what the case is with those other two. They. I mean, obviously, someone <laughs> had, a, had a grudge. Well, and, uh,
0: so. you were from well, before I go on. You know, you were a member of the Senate, and Senator Mitch McConnell has been quite angry today about the fact that there is a bill that he wants to see the House pass that protects Supreme Court justices. Their pushback has been, okay, well, we want to protect also employees of the justice. I'm thinking clerks and whatnot. Who has it right? Do you wait until everything is buttoned up, or do you have incremental legislation? Oh.
5: First, I like I'd like to see the justices protected. I mean, but McConnell is is protected, right? Not every senator is protected like McConnell is. Uh, okay, well, he's actually on the side of of, <laughs> of just protecting the justices, but uh, that makes perfect sense to me.
3: The the, the reality first. here is, I think the problem is that we are normalizing. Or, or our society has been normalizing violence as a way to solve political problems in recent years. I mean, and January 6th is the most extreme example of this, and it's not an example of mentally ill, lone people. There were a lot of, you know, supporters of Donald Trump who were kind of along for the ride, but it was organized by extremist groups who were using violence and the threat of violence to get, a, to get the, the, as the means to their political end, Right. That is not how we do things in America. And the more people see examples of this, the more you're going to see these people on the fringes, whether they're mentally ill or they've got a problem, trying to use this to solve their problems. And we got to condemn it across the board all the time.
4: I think it's even broader than that. And the problem stems, I think, it, it, you've got to stop it far, far in advance of that, right? So you have these women following Kristen Cinema into the restroom and berating her, right? Uh, because they don't agree with her political views. You have uh, when Sarah Huckabee Sanders was a press person her and her family are eating dinner out someplace and she gets att- accosted by a group of people at a restaurant that can't sit and have dinner with her family. I, I think unless That was a call- precursor
5: yeah, in your yeah. mind to it- this. And,
4: and like Christian Cinema, like you can't- uh, That's, when you were, you know, That's But It, it is civility. but no, it is isn't civility. but it then where's the line drawn, right? When you have politicians saying, follow people, make them uncomfortable, right? Both on the Republican side, the Democratic side, people have said to do those types of things. And I think you have to decry that- and call it out, because that leads to this type of thing, right? If you say, go, go shout down politicians, go make them feel uncomfortable, go protest outside. We all saw the protests outside the justices' homes here a few weeks ago. Yeah, and the marshals showed up and had to make those people disperse. And so it's a fine line you get between that and some got crazy guy showing up at 2 in the morning, and the marshals catching him before he breaks into Brett Kavanaugh. Is that a fine line? line?
3: Yeah. On homes versus, I mean, protesting people at a workplace, right? Standing out the Supre- outside yeah. the Supreme Court saying, fine. this is not okay. Versus going to a house. Like, where's the line for you? I mean, you served in public office.
5: Well, I don't think it's cool to go to someone's house and do that, but it's different.
3: <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's <laughs> than,
4: different than having a, gun. <laughs> like- or a restaurant, right? Or or on the but train. But where do or in you draw that place? line?
3: Where where do you draw the line?
5: Personally, I, of course, I, I I think that people should be civil and and not act that way. But I I think there's a, a an enormous difference between just being a jerk. <laughs> following someone into the bathroom. Being a jerk is
3: probably constitutionally came. protected. That yeah. is probably but, true. It's <laughs> also being a jerk might be a, might be a characteristic That's of Washington, D.C. But here's the
0: thing. Yeah. We talked to Andrew McCabe, the former FBI director, just a moment ago. And his point was the idea of it was the confluence of these two factors, the increase of accessibility to guns and the idea of people resorting to believing they're entitled to right. air out their grievances and solve them. And so right. if you have that sort of intersection going on, where do you go from here? Right.
4: Well, your, your point's well taken, right? The, the first is constitutionally protected, right? You could petition the government for redress or grievances. It's in the First Amendment, protected. But where do you do it? But
0: right? isn't that the following and saying, I want to address this with you right now. I'm sorry you're eating your meal?
4: Right. I know. But that's the thing. Where, where is it acceptable? Where does society deem that acceptable? Well, How is it acceptable?
5: Example, a, On vacation say, with your family?
4: Is that let's acceptable? Let's say family
5: planning or abortion yeah. clinics, right? That was a, a real issue about how right. what do you, do? you okay. could and couldn't do right. and if I hadn't seen before someone gathering, people gathering outside a Supreme Court Justice's right. place if that starts to happen, yeah then you can uh, draw that line, but
3: well, I mean, and look, we should say out front, the, the Biden administration, Jen Psaki, got up and said, like, this is fine. This is cool. And part of that's because their political base would get really angry if they said anything yeah. else. Uh, you know, but like it was
4: cool to protest. Right.
3: But that. like at well, some point, you know, when do when are adults standing up in the room?
0: Well, that's why we question. need our Congress to set those lines are the ones who make the laws. They will draw those lines. And will they be the appropriate ones? I want to thank Casey Hunt and Al Franken and David Urban. Great hearing from all of you. Thanks for watching. I'll be back Friday night. So please join CNN tomorrow for Attack on Democracy. The January 6th hearings are live. Special coverage begins at 7 p.m. Eastern. Don Lemon Tonight starts right now.